0: Good morning, church. The number of the days that we are going to live on this earth, you know, they're numbered by God. All of us have an expiry date. You know, some of us have a couple of decades to go. Some of us, maybe a couple of years, probably months, days, maybe hours. We don't know. In Psalms 139 and in Job 14, it says that God knows our time from before we were born, before we were formed. And in Job, it says that he has numbered our days, and even that's been written. At the end of the day, none of us knows when God is going to call us home. Anything can happen at any time. However, there's one thing that we know as Christians, that those that, are, that are of us that have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, and faithfully follow him, that our eternal relationship with God, this relationship that we have on, with God on this earth, is nothing but a small, tiny bit compared to the eternal relationship that we're going to enjoy with God in his presence for eternity. And Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, All the difficulties and the trials and the persecutions of this life. Nothing compared to what we will enjoy in God's presence for eternity. But the truth about heaven is that it's not a place that everyone gets to go after this life. The truth is that heaven is a place reserved by God. You know, Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us. It's for the people that God loves and for the people... Who love God and long to be with Him. Heaven is a place for God's people to finally spend eternity with their Creator, their Savior, their Redeemer, their King, loving Him, worshiping Him, and enjoying His presence forever. We know Jesus promises in 4, John fourteen three that He's going to prepare a place for you, and He will return to take us home. And in there he meant his disciples, his followers, the ones that commune with him, the ones that have a relationship with him. Now, if we are strangers to the Lord in our relationship with him on this earth, then most likely we will be strangers to him in the life after this life as well. You know, Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew seven twenty one that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, when we read this passage often, we often think of other people or, you know, other Christians who are probably practicing their faith in an incorrect way. But actually, this verse, you know, that Jesus mentions here is for all of us. It's for us to examine our own lives and to see whether are we doing the will of God? Are we doing the will of the Father? Are we pleasing him? Or are we actually running after our own desires, doing whatever we want? When people ask us the question, you know, how is your walk with God going? I'm sure this is a question that we often ask each other or at some point you've been asked as well. Um, What this actually means is how are you going about loving God? And I think we prayed about this this morning that all of us are at different points of our faith. And some of us may be struggling, some of us probably disillusioned, some of us may be really going well. But at the end of the day, when someone asks you the question, um, how is your walk going with the Lord? What that actually means is, how are you loving the Lord? Because we know that God is always faithful to love us, right? I mean, He is always patient. He never changes. It's us that needs the help. And a relationship is a two-way stream, and we know that we need God's help to love him. For today's sermon, I'm going to be preaching on the greatest commandment, or God's greatest commandment, taken from Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. And let's read this together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which commandment? Is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The context here is that uh, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, if you read the the passages before this passage, they were all out there trying to trick Jesus with questions because they really wanted to hope that they were really hoping that Jesus would give them a wrong answer so they could turn the people against Jesus and hopefully, you know, trap Jesus and probably get him killed as well. Um, And on seeing Jesus respond wisely to all these questions that were being asked, this lawyer comes. And is asking this question, as a lawyer would, as what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Before we go into the text for today, let's, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts open, and we pray, Father, for you to speak to us, Lord. We pray that you would open our spiritual eyes and that we would hear your voice today. Father, I just pray for myself that you humble me, God, and help me to always speak those words that you want me to say. And we pray, Lord, as we leave this day, that we would take with us something to learn that would help us draw closer to you, that would help us in our walks with you, that would help us grow in a deeper relationship with you, God. And so we pray that you help us, protect us from distractions, and help us to keep our minds fixed on you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, before we go into that passage, there's two truths that I want to bring to your attention about who God is and about how that impacts our relationship with God. The first point that I want to bring to your attention is that we were created to love God. We were created to love God. There's that uh, worship song by Chris Tomlin called uh, Made to Worship. And I'm sure a lot of us know that song. And in the chorus, it goes like this. You and I were made to worship. You and I were called to love, to love God. You and I were called to love God. You know, so in Genesis 1:26 it says that we were God's masterpiece because we're the only thing that God created in his own image, and what that means is that we were created with the ability to, to know God personally, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to have a relationship, to fellowship with Him. We were the only things created uh, in that way. We know the statement from the Westminster Catechism, which is one of my favorite uh, that I often go back to, the chief end of man is what? Is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is our purpose statement on this earth. You know, our God is a relational God. We can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And that is the best thing and the most unique thing about the Christian faith compared to any other faith is that you can have a relationship with the God that created you. It is only in Christ that we can find meaning and purpose for our lives. Else we would live and die in vain because everything else is vanity, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So as a Christian, if Christ is not the focus of our lives, then we, what we try and do is we find purpose in these other things, things that fade away. We look to hobbies and jobs and entertainment and relationships, hoping relationships will fulfill that. And we look to other things to give us our purpose and identity. The only relationship that can fulfill us, as you would know, and that would bring us contentment is when our relationship is found in Christ Jesus and in him alone. Our identity and our purpose can only be found in Christ Jesus and living for him. The second truth I want to bring to your attention is that God loves his people. It's an important truth that we have to remind ourselves that God loves you. He loves you. He's not sitting in heaven and his left is on earth and that's it. You just take care of yourself. No, God loves you. John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16, they both tell us, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us or for God so loved the world. He loved those that would put their trust in him. So what did he do? He sent his only son to die in our place. When you and I should have died and paid the price for our sins, Jesus Paid it all with his precious blood. I love Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, because it says, it goes like this, but because of his great love, he doesn't say because of his love for us. It says because of his great love. God loves us greatly. It's something we have to remind ourselves every day. God loves us. He loves each one of you. There's a beautiful song by Don Moen, and I think this is something, you know, we can exercise. And, um, because like the children of Israel, we forget. And the song goes like this. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that has brought us through. For as high as the heavens are above, great is the measure of our Father's love. Obviously, that's taken from the Psalms. For as wide or as far as the east is from the west great is his love towards us. An expression of God's love for David can also be seen in Psalms 139 verse 1 to 5. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, Behold, O oh Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. You see, God chose us name by name, even before the foundations of the world, to be his people. That's what it says in Ephesians 1, and that's true. Sorry, one th- was, yes, chapter 1, was 3 and 4. And the only reason we can love God is because he unconditionally loved you and me. Now, this brings us to the third point, which is the passage that we're going to be looking at the sermon today, is that God commands us to love him. We were created to love God. God loves us. And in his response, God wants us to love him. So let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 29. And this is the the first truth that we can learn from the commandment that uh, we're looking at today. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God wants us to love him and him alone. He is our God. He is our creator, our savior, our redeemer. We belong to him and we are his people. Now, if you look at the first part of verse 29, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. You know, by the way, this is taken from the Shema, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. For those of us that don't know what the Shema is, it's basically the the prayer that the Jews prayed uh, every morning and evening, and it's taken directly from Deuteronomy 6. And so Jesus is basically quoting the Shema. And so this is the first part of, of the Shema. It says, the Lord our God, and this is to remind the people of Israel that that the Lord, Yahweh, was their God, and they were his people. There was an exclusive relationship that, that was there, that their God was Yahweh, and Yahweh's people were the children of Israel. And if you look at the second part of it, it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was also reminded to the people of Israel that there is only one Yahweh for them. You know, when God was speaking the commandments in Exodus 20, he says, You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below, or in the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And that's taken from Exodus 20. You know, God commanded his people Israel not to make idols idols. And not to worship anything else but Him because He is a jealous God in a righteous way and He will not tolerate idolatry. God wants each one of us to also love Him exclusively and love Him more than anything else or anyone else in our lives. God wants our utmost devotion, our admiration. Our adoration to be reserved for him and him alone. He wants to find our satisfaction and our joy to come from him. He wants us to trust him, to depend on him rather than ourselves or anything else. But because of our sinful flesh, you know, our sinful nature, we will always struggle with the sin of idolatry every day till the day we die. You know, John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. It's almost like an assembly line. You take one out, it puts another one into your heart. And when the Lord helps you deal with one, he shows you another one to deal with. And I'm sure we all know that to be true of ourselves. The heart is constantly seeking on how we can replace God with something else. I quote an article from the Biblical Counseling Coalition called The Idolatrous Heart. In our culture, we tend to think of idolatry as an Eastern religious system, such as Buddhism or Hinduism, or a pagan worship of the trees and animals. But the truth is idolatry is not bowing down to statues. It is anything that means more than you sorry, it is anything that means more to you than God does. It is manifested when getting what you want has become more important than what God desires for you. Simply put, anything that you are loving, desiring, or serving more than God is an idol of the heart. Galatians 5, you know, tells us that idolatry is a a desire of our sinful flesh. And what it does is it corrupts the way we think, our decisions, our choices, our actions, our reactions, the the way we spend our time, where we spend our money, whom we spend our money on. And, you know, John Piper in his book, Desiring God, you know, he sums up the, the philosophy of Christian life. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The truth is, where do we find satisfaction today? In your life, is it from the things you own? Is it from your hobbies or your work or your relationships or your children? Don't get me wrong. It's not saying we can't draw satisfaction from those things. But where do you get your satisfaction of life and contentment from? God wants us to love him and adore him and find our satisfaction Of life in Him and Him alone. And when we do that, He is most glorified through our lives and in our lives. The Lord wants us to love Him more than anything else in our lives, and we need to go to God on a daily basis to surrender these idols before Him and and our sinful desires, and ask Him to search our hearts, because to be honest, sometimes it's not as evident, and the Lord has to allow things to happen in our lives to be able to show us what our idols are. If there are things in your life that you desire more, you love more, and you serve more than God, then... That is definitely an idol in your life. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? You know, do you reflect on the things of God? If something is drawing you away today from loving God and wanting to spend more time with Him and serving Him, then ask the Lord to help you deal with it so that you can put Him first in your life. As it says in John five twenty-one. Uh, First John 5, 21, protect yourself from idols. The only way to resist idols in our hearts is really to fill our hearts with the things of God, with His Word, by meditating on His Word day and night. And that's the only way to protect our hearts from, being, from idols coming in. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is a constant struggle in our lives between loving God and loving other things. The second part of the commandment is, uh, the first, sorry, the, the first, second part of the, the first commandment is in, seen in Ma- Mark chapter 12, verse 30, which brings me to our second truth. That is, God wants us to love him with our whole being, with everything within us. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This again is taken from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, There might be a few variations as you go through scriptures, because this is quoted in a, a few books in the Bible, and they have a small variations here and there, but. The summary of all of this is that God wants us to completely love Him with our entire being. He doesn't want us to reserve anything. He wants us to do our best to love Him. Now, this commandment seems very simple, right? But it's one of the hardest things to obey. You know, as we said, our sinful flesh always wants us to love ourselves more than God because we're selfish, And our sinful hearts will always want to pull us away from God and doing the things that pleases Him. Romans 8, 7 and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. There's no way it can. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible to love God as He expects to with our human ability And we're bound to fail if we depend on ourselves. The only way we can love God is if God himself regenerates our heart with his love and gives us the ability to love him. That is the only way we can love him. His love basically transforms us from within. It changes us from these selfish, self-centered sinners to having a true and a loving desire to pursue Christ to know Him more, and to love Him. And I'm not sure where you're at in your faith. But if this is not true of yourself, then perhaps you need to go back and think about where you stand before God. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 also says that the Lord will circumcise your heart, the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. In other words, it's the Lord who causes us to love him. It is Christ who loved us first and saved us. So, how can we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? The heart, soul, and mind, they're kind of very interconnected. It's kind of hard to kind of break them apart. But if you put them all three together, that is basically who you are. That's you as a full person. It represents your complete being. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here, or what God is telling his people, is that I want you to love me with your entire person. Your intellect, your thoughts, your reasoning, your emotions, your passions, your perceptions, your actions, your responses. God wants us to love him holistically, the whole person. Not just grow our minds and where our hearts are disconnected from Him. No, God wants us to pursue a relationship with Him, an intimate relationship with Him. Now, what does it mean to love God with your strength? Now, the word strength here is actually a physical effort. And just to help you with the analogy, you know, just kind of imagine, I mean, you know, you're watching like one of those shows like Strong Man, I hope, or, you know, or the. One of the Olympics, where you have one of the Olympians trying to, you know, deadlift uh, heavy weights. So imagine this person walks up to the platform and is trying to lift a thousand pounds, and I'm sure they've done it on the strongman. Uh, hope- hopefully, but and you see this man bend down and he grabs the bar and he's kind of getting himself ready. And when the timing is right, you see him. Pull with his with his full strength. You know he exerts everything within him in one shot, trying to lift that heavy weight above his knees. You can imagine, you know, his veins popping out and this sweat dropping out, and he's probably you know like shivering because of the sh- you know sheer strain of the weight. And all he's trying to do is just hang on to those bars for a couple more seconds until he gets the green signal. That is what it means to love the Lord with all your strength. It means to give your very best. But again, in that context, if we try to love the Lord with our own strength, we will fail again. Even to love the Lord with all our strength, we need His help and His strength to enable us. The truth is that most of the time, and I think we talked about it a little bit this morning, is that our attitudes and approach to loving God can be quite flippant. We sometimes don't take our faith seriously, you know. And each one of us, and this sermon is as much is it for me as it's for you, you know. We can treat God very flippantly, and we're not mostly disciplined about pursuing Him. So here are a few ways you can, uh, we can. Uh, love God with our whole being. One, obey his commandments. John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is said in many parts of scripture. I don't want to say the references here, but the second John 1, 6. But the truth is that if we love God, you know, it's the basic things that we teach our kids. You know, if you love dad and mom, you do what we tell you to do. You know, you obey. And that's the basic thing of love. Whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not, God calls us to obey Him. Another way we can love God is to pursue the knowledge of God. You see, our pursuit to know more about God should be driven out of a love for Him. And it's, it's a bit of a vicious cycle because the more you know Him, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you want to know about Him, Right? But And and the knowledge of God can humble us and help us grow in our intimacy with Him when we learn and apply the knowledge of God in the right way. However, you can pursue the knowledge of God for the wrong reasons as well, and it will puff you up and make you prideful. And it's not going to grow you, and it's not going to help you in your relationship with God either. Another way to love God is to cleanse and renew your mind with God's Word on a daily basis. Discipline yourself each day and devote time to spend with the Lord and His Word. You know, Phil preached uh, a few weeks back the, the relationship between our personal worship and corporate worship. If we don't have a deep and meaningful relationship with the Lord in our personal lives, then everything we do is just lip service and fake You know, God doesn't honor that. So it really starts between me and God first before I can take it out to the church or the world around me. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 1, 2, blessed is the man whose delight is in God's word, and he meditates on it day and night. If you want to know what God wants you to do and how he wants you to live, it's in the word, it's in the Bible. Another way is to not sin. 1 John 3, verse 9, no one born of God makes practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, Because he has been born of God. Now again, when it comes to to sinning, we have to trust the Lord and depend on him and his word to help us from sinning. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that is the only way we can stop sinning against the Lord by filling our minds and our hearts with his word so that we might know his will and so that we might do his will. Be a faithful disciple and an ambassador for the Lord. And that says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. Sometimes, you know, the only Jesus the world will know is the Jesus that we live out each day. You know, for me as a father, I think for me that convicts me almost every day is that the Jesus that my children see is not the Jesus that I preach to them or teach them. It's the Jesus that they see in me, whether I am actually having a real relationship with God. Because otherwise, Jesus will just become another storybook on their shelves. And so that is to all our fathers and everyone here, and we also ambassadors to the world and wherever God has put us, Is Jesus real in your life? Is he more than just knowledge? Is there a real relationship that other people can see in your life? And by this, they will know that there's a Father in heaven. And the last, uh, I'm sure there's a lot more ways we can love the Lord, but the last one I wanted to call out was serve the Lord with the gifts that he's given you. You know, God has blessed each one of us with a spiritual gift. And it is for the edification of the church. It's for us to use and serve Him. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, don't worry. Just keep serving. Find the need that's right there in front of you and keep serving. And in time, God will show you where He wants you to serve Him. But do not stop serving Him. Look for ways to love God and love God's people with His love in the way you serve Him. Now, Let's read Mark 12, 31, which is, which comes to the next truth, or the next part of the commandment, or the second commandment, we call it. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, God wants us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, in the, in the, in the Shemaiah, you, you actually don't have this commandment. Um, and so, you know, Jesus mentions this second commandment in addition to the first and the great commandment. Um, the lawyer asks Jesus, you know, to give him one commandment. You know, it's interesting. And here Jesus gives him two commandments. But actually the truth is, there, it's actually one commandment with two sides. And you can't have one without the other. You know, to love God means you love people. And the only way you can love people is if you love God because you need his love to love people. If we have the love of Jesus in our hearts and we truly love him, then we will truly want to love others as well. Because the love of Christ and the love for Christ is contagious. You can't contain it. When you love Christ and you're loving him, each day and you know his love for you it is contagious because you want to go out there and impact people and bless people with that love the truth is that the only way we can love our neighbors is if we have experienced the love of christ in our own lives and it has transformed us from within him within ourselves to worship him and to love him above anything else you see, something interesting in this, in this commandment, you don't see Jesus saying, love yourself. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture, love yourself. You know, we live in the Western world where all we hear is, you know, be kind to yourself, love yourself. It's all about you. The truth is, everyone, anybody, there's no one who does not love themselves. Even the person that says I don't I hate myself or uh, I hate my life the reason they say that is they love themselves so much that they they feel they deserve a better life and when they don't get that they're upset they're angry they're disappointed because they deserve something much better and in their response they say I hate myself or I hate my life but even that person loves themselves you know, we don't stop short to make, us make, uh, make sure that we're happy, right? We feed ourselves good food, we go on holidays, uh, we buy good clothes. I don't know. I mean, I don't know everyone to themselves, right? But we make sure that we make decisions in our lives to make ourselves happy, right? Nobody goes out of the way to make themselves unhappy. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is commanding us to love our neighbors with that same attention to detail, in the same way, with the same intensity. Now, you may ask, who is our neighbor? And uh, if you didn't ask, the lawyer did uh, in Luke 10, um, who is my neighbor? Right? Lawyers are good. They ask really good questions. Um, Jesus responded by narrating the, the parable of the Good Samaritan when the question was asked. Um, we don't have time to go through the, the parable, but the summary of it is that our neighbor is anyone who is within our reach and our influence that needs to know and experience the love of Christ through us, through the gospel, through our service, through our prayers. In Luke six, Jesus teaches his disciples a few important truths from for uh, sorry a few important truths whom to love. But I say to you, you hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them." Jesus is teaching us not to just love our neighbors, sorry, Jesus is teaching us not just to love our neighbors, but also to love our enemies and those that persecute us. We are never more like Jesus when we love the way he does. There is no reward in just loving people that love us in return. You know, people don't know the love of Christ or experience love. Um, Sorry, people that don't know the love of Christ or experience the love um, are not in a position to love Christ, our neighbor, or our enemies. You know, Christ is that perfect example that we can look to, to loving our neighbor. Think about what Christ did on the cross for us. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So neither, not only were we ungodly, not only were we unrighteous, neither were we a good person, not only were we like absolute sinners, we were also God's enemies. We couldn't get much worse than that. But while we were in that state, Christ died for us. Beloved, let us love one another For love is of God, and everyone who loves knoweth God and loveth God. That is a a Sunday school song that I learned when I was a kid. It is about generally being concerned for others and being compassionate, patient, and concerned for their well-being. The last thing I want to point out in this commandment, again taken from Luke 6, Jesus teaches his disciples a few more truths about not expecting anything in return. And this is something that we all struggle with because when we do things for others, somehow in our minds and our hearts, we feel we expect something back. You owe me something. I quote Jesus' words, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. when we love others through Christ and for Christ, we should not expect anything in return because we do it for Christ. And our reward is going to come from God and not from man. This world is, a, is broken and it needs Jesus. And we are God's instruments and His ambassadors. And the best way to share love with others not in just doing things, it's to share the gospel with them. What the people need to know is the gospel, the love of Christ. You know, it's good to do good works, and there's nothing wrong in doing that. Uh, and meeting people's physical needs, is, that's a good thing. But if we're not there to share, to help them meet their spiritual need, then we have failed. And so do your good works, but make sure that the gospel is center in all of that. Now, Jesus closes his statement by saying that there is no other commandment than, sorry, there is no other greater commandment than these two commandments. In fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus says that on these two commandments hang the rest of the law and the prophets. Uh, In other words, if you're able to do both these commandments faithfully, you've kept the rest of the other commandments. And this brings me to my last point, that is, this is a very difficult commandment to obey. And there is no way, as long as we are in this sinful flesh, that we will be able to perfectly love the Lord and love our neighbors. There is only one person in history who has been able to fulfill this commandment perfectly, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one who has been able to do this. And that's where we can take our encouragement from. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all failure because we can look to him to help us love him. We can look to him to pour his love into our hearts, to give us the strength to do his will. We can run to Jesus. We can pour out our hearts to him because Jesus sees right through to us. He knows our struggles, He knows our fears. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our hypocrisy. But he also knows our heart's desires and our longing to be a faithful disciple and to have an intimate relationship with him. And he is there to help us and guide us into a deeper love for him and love for his people. I would like to end with the verse from 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let's look to the Lord in word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning time that you have blessed us with as a church to come before you in your presence to hear from you, O God. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that you chose us before the foundation of this world to be your people. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us. And Father, we pray in the light of what we have learned and heard today, Lord, help us to love you with everything within us, We confess to you, Lord, that very often we approach our relationship with you flippantly. Help us, Lord, to take you seriously. Help us, Lord, to be sincere, to pursue you, God. Help us, Lord, also to go out of our way to love others with your love, expecting nothing in return. And help us to draw strength from you to love you the way you ought to, God. And so, Lord, that we pray for everyone in this room, God, every one of us, Lord, we are at different walks with you in different places. Help us in our struggle. Help us to grow as a church in our relationship with you, that we might love you more and have a better intimate relationship with you this year. Thank you for hearing our prayer, for we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.